You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 6pm on July 23, 2023, presented by Rev. Chris Duke. We're going to read now the, um, the second half of Psalm 73. Uh, the first half deals with Asaph's uh, dilemma, his issues, if you like, and the second half now we're going to deal with the solutions. So picking it up at verse 15. So, yep. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes, when you arise, Lord. You will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me... It is, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, as we now look at these 28 verses of Psalm 73, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, encourage us, enable us to have some answers to life. And Lord, may we come closer to you and realise the wonderful salvation we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now tonight I want us to consider a question, is your trust in God sufficient to satisfy all the highs and the lows that you experience in life? Is your faith in God enough? How many of us can express in our hearts that God is sufficient? or enough for me? Is God enough if your circumstances change? Is God enough if your circumstances don't change? Is God enough uh, if your circumstances don't change when you want them to change? Is God enough if your circumstances change unexpectedly? Is God enough if your health doesn't improve and you don't get better and, and, and it changes for the worst? Is God enough if the challenges you're facing with family perhaps or marriage difficulties perhaps or financial hardships or anything else? Is God enough if you don't get that job that you're longing for? If your dreams never become a reality, is God enough? How can we come to a point of genuinely, genuinely being satisfied in life, in our faith in God, and declare that God is good. Now in Psalm 73, Asaph 
It's a psalm of Asaph. He's pondered these thoughts. He's pondered these thoughts when he's observed the prosperity of the wicked. So when things are not good or don't seem to be good, I want to ask you this evening, is God good? Most of us may confess that God is good. We're, this is what we've all been taught. This is what the scriptures teach us. And for most of us, it's what we all believe. But do we believe this when our faith is tested? When we experience the trials of life, can we categorically and confidently say that God is enough because he is good? It's at these times that our knowledge of the attributes and the character of God is important. You see, we need good theology rather than bad theology. Now, the word theology simply means knowledge of God, okay? We need to have a good knowledge of God and who he is. It's good theology that will lead us to godly thinking, whilst bad theology will lead us to a poor view of God and to poor thinking. Our psalmist Asaph, he also had struggles in his life and his theology wasn't always good. It wasn't until he was reminded of good theology that he was able to find contentment in his life through his faith in the Lord God Almighty. Psalm 73 opens with a wonderful affirmation in verse 1, an affirmation of what Asaph has discovered or rediscovered after having doubts. He says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This opening affirmation in verse 1 is actually Asaph's conclusion where he states an age-old truth that God is good to those who follow him. No confession is more fundamental to our faith that God is good. But for Asaph, this opening confession came as a result of an enormous personal struggle of belief and faith. So what is Asaph saying? He's saying that despite everything, in the face of everything, in my current experience that seems to deny it, despite all the circumstances of life, the good and the bad, I still confess that God is good to his people. He's good to me. Asaph then speaks honestly about how he felt because he didn't always believe this. He couldn't always categorically confess that God was good. For in verse 2 he says, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Asaph confesses in verse 2 that he'd almost stumbled. He almost came to a point where he didn't believe that God was good. Asaph had almost slipped into a dark side of unbelief. How did he almost slip? Well, he was comparing his life, his circumstances in life with those of the ungodly or those of the unfaithful or wicked. He looked around and he became envious. For they seemed to prosper. Asaph observed that the wicked seemed to have it all in verse 3. 
For I have envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he wondered when he saw the arrogant, evil, wicked people, people who didn't trust or believe or love or worship God, yet they seemed to prosper in life. And to add insult to injury, they seemed to have a better life than those who trusted in God. They seemed to have a better life than what Asaph was experiencing. Asaph thought that there should be benefits in trusting God and obeying his word. Have you ever thought like that? Especially when you've seen the lifestyle of the rich and the famous. The clothes they wear, the holidays they have, and it's hard not to be a little envious, perhaps. Asaph confesses that he was envious of the arrogant, godless people due to their lifestyle they lived. Envy was crouching at the door like a snare or trap where he doubted God's goodness. Have you ever felt like this? Has this been your experience? Have you doubted the truth of God's righteousness, God's goodness, when tough times or circumstances have arrived? Perhaps when a time of testing has arrived, the issue at stake was Asaph's theology, his knowledge of God. Was it good or was it bad? He either believed God at his word or he disbelieved God. Now, Asaph goes to great pains. Uh, Helen read them beautifully to us to describe how life appeared to him as he observed the wicked. It seemed that the wicked didn't suffer the usual pains of life. They didn't have aching bones or debilitating illnesses before death. Their bodies are described as fat and sleek. They look good. They weren't malnourished. They had healthy bodies. They enjoyed good health right up until their death. Their physical appearance of strong, full, voluptuous bodies was the source of their happiness, but it was also the cause of their arrogance. The burdens and the plagues of humanity were not observable among the wicked. In verse 4 it says, They have no struggles with the usual characteristics of human life, of burdens, of illnesses, or the usual trials that are part of human existence, of course, as a result of sin. The wicked seem to live above the frustrations of life and Asaph observes that all of this contributed to them being full of self-pride. He describes this in verse 6, they wore their pride around their neck like a, a necklace. Look at me, look at me. But the wicked were also full of violence. And they didn't care who they inflicted this upon. Their speech was violent. They slandered and they mocked as we read verse 8. They didn't care who they verbally abused, yet no one spoke up against them. No one was willing to contradict them and offer resistance, not even Asaph himself. The people seemed to be beguiled by the speech of the wicked, lapping up their words like a sponge soaks up water and finding no fault in them. And the imagination of their evil and their moral hearts brought forth wicked schemes, yet they prospered. 
And when they spoke of God and they denied his existence, as we read in verse 11, there is no God. And if there is, well, he might be somewhere up there. But he doesn't care about us. Still they seem to prosper when they blaspheme God. Don't we hear similar speech today? Of course we do in all facets of life. We have people who categorically say there is no God. For Asaph, the living conditions of the wicked seemed to improve even though they rejected God and disobeyed his word. Now who were these wicked people? Well, this will surprise you. They were members of the Israelite community. They were members of the covenant community. The same covenant that had come down through Abraham that was taught to all, yet these people rejected God's word. They rejected God's law and they desired to live according to their own will rather than God's will. But the wicked seemed to become more prosperous and they were free from all the cares of the world. And when we look at the rich and the famous today, well, friends, it's not all what it seems. They might have a flashy life, they might have nice clothes, big houses and a luxurious uh, lifestyle, but how many of them have problems? Infidelity, alcohol, drug abuse, miscreant children. Many of the rich and famous today are, of course, dysfunctional. Even with their fame and their prosperity, their lives are not necessarily better. Yet it's easy to compare our situation in life with someone else's. So Asaph observed the wicked around him. Some were his neighbours, some he even met at the temple. But when he observed them and compared their life to his, it affected his attitude to God. Asaph's theology was poor and it was shaky. His knowledge of God and his word should have held him up, even in the circumstance that he was in. Asaph's bad theology was leading him down the path of very poor thinking. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. So what good does it me to be blameless? So he came to a point of doubting whether it was worth following God and obeying his word. I've lived a blameless life and I've kept my heart clean by avoiding doing wrong, but is it all worth it? Calvin expresses similarly, he says this, but even true believers themselves are shaken even to doubt the providence of God that unless they were wonderfully preserved by his hand, they would be completely swallowed up in this abyss. Friends, if you've ever felt that and you're, you know, you've been, you've been saved from going into the abyss of darkness because God has his hand on you. So Asaph had thoughts of doubt which caused a type of depression and his envy was eating him up and like all depression and all anxiety, it can be all consuming. He was afflicted day after day with no let up to his affliction. Asaph needed good theology rather than bad theology. 
So in verses 16 to 22, Asaph comes to a pivotal point. If you like, he came to the crossroad moment in his life and he determined that he needed to understand all this. And that's a good starting point. He could find no intellectual explanation for what was happening. And we read in verse 17, a very small phrase, he goes into the sanctuary of God. He goes into the sanctuary of God. Now, what is the sanctuary of God? Was it the temple? I think in Asaph's day it was. We cannot be clear, but in poetic style, it was a place where God was worshipped. More than likely, it was the temple. Did he have some esoteric or mystical experience or an inner experience when he went into the sanctuary? Did he suddenly have some inner light that helped him? Perhaps, maybe, but let's be clear now. I want to just remind you, the role of the priests in the temple in the Old Testament in Jerusalem wasn't only to carry out the sacrifices. The priest's role was also to teach God's word, to teach God's law. More than likely, Asaph went into the temple and he heard a good sermon. Maybe two or more. Some of us need to hear a sermon at least a few times a week. Friends, we all need to hear a good sermon and hopefully you're hearing one now. At least one that speaks to us. I pray that God, you're hearing one, a good sermon now. Asaph heard a good sermon in relation to his troubles and doubts and then he understood the outcome of the wicked in eternity. Did you get that? The outcome of the wicked in eternity. Asaph understood the outcome and he was able to discern their end. He discovered that the wicked could be prosperous now but one day in judgment they will have to answer to God. They'll have to answer for their ungodliness, for their pride, for their arrogance, for their violence, for their immorality and for their unbelief. You see, it was actually the wicked who were on slippery ground and it's the wicked today who are on slippery ground. It's the, those who are outside of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who are on slippery ground and they're not going to get away with their sin. They can deny that they're, that they're not sinners. That's the, the new phrase today, I don't believe in sin doesn't change it, doesn't take it away. When Asaph finally understood this, he realised that he was guilty of a serious misunderstanding because now he understood the wisdom of God and his ways. Asaph, like most of us, tried to interpret his experience, his experiences in his own wisdom. Asaph equated worldly prosperity as a sign of God's favour. Now, Asaph acknowledged that he'd been bitter toward God, but he realised that he was also ignorant of God's righteousness, just like the wicked. When he understood the righteous character of God, it became clear in his thinking that he was incorrect. The righteous character 
and the righteous justice of God demanded that sin doesn't go unpunished. How could he doubt, doubt the character of God? God was indeed good. Therefore, Asaph realised that because of the sin of the wicked, they will be punished. He also realised that his own sin deserved punishment as well. He remembered who he was, a creature with limited understanding, yet one who belonged to the God of infinite understanding, the eternal righteous God who could be trusted to fulfil all his own perfect purposes. In Asaph's bad theology, theology assumed that if God is good to his people, then obviously God's people will be blessed and prosper and will be healthy and wealthy. Asaph was assuming that obedience to God led to material prosperity, while disobedience will lead to poverty. So he thought, and this is what we see today, taught today in the prosperity gospel, which teaches that God wants to prosper us and make us happy. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't want to do those things, but it's not what the Bible always teaches, and often it doesn't teach that. If we give to him, this is what they say, he will give us our heart's desire, health, wealth and happiness. Now, of course, the scriptures say that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver expects nothing in return and will pray that the talents will multiply in the kingdom. If Asaph, therefore, was going to understand good theology, he needed to know and understand what God has actually said in his word. That's why going into the sanctuary was so vital so that he could be taught properly. Asaph needed to know about his own sin in his life and how repentance and faith in God gave him eternal hope. Perhaps Asaph did know some good theology but became discouraged and distracted by the trials of life that he was experiencing. His trials wore him down and his desires eventually became sinful and his focus on life became more and more self-centred rather than trusting and believing the word of the true and the living God. Now, friends, I want you to remember this little analogy. Good theology is like a good sunscreen. If you're out in the sun for a long time, you need to keep reapplying it. Otherwise, the result is disastrous because we know that the sunscreen wears off and your skin eventually burns. So we need to re reapply the sunscreen regularly. And it's the same with theology. We all need to be constantly reminded about God and about his goodness and his righteousness and his justice, his grace and his mercy. We all need to know God. And that's why it's important to attend church on a regular basis. And that's why it's important that we be taught from the Bible. That's why it's important to be linked to a Bible study group. That's why it's important to do your own personal Bible reading and prayer. That's why Christian fellowship is so important, so that we can discuss matters that concern us, matters of faith. By coming into the sanctuary, Asaph was reminded of the faithfulness of God, that the Lord Almighty, the true triune God, was a covenant, that is a promise-keeping God, 
who never, ever broke his promises. He was reminded that God was indeed good. Even though Asaph was poor and browbeaten, Asaph's attitude toward God changed. His heart changed and he found comfort in God's goodness rather than being obsessed with the apparent view of the prosperity of the wicked. And in the process, Asaph was humbled. He was able to see his own redemption, which went beyond his earthly life. Because we read in verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. There are times when we need to take our eyes off the things around us and we need to look into the person, we need to look into the counsel and we need to look into the guidance of our wonderful God and Saviour through Jesus Christ. Don't keep looking to the seeming prosperity of people around you. Rather look to the Lord Jesus Christ. God will deal with all the wicked in his own good time. In the New Covenant, that is in the New Testament, good theology points us, of course, to the person of Jesus Christ. For he is the ultimate sanctuary. We all need to know Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, remembering what he's done for us and what he's promised to do for us, not just now but for all of eternity. God demonstrated his ultimate goodness to his people when he sent Jesus to die on a cruel Roman cross. A good man died for sinful people. He took upon himself the punishment that all sinners richly deserve. Surely God is good to his people because he has saved them. God is good because a good man, a perfect man in Jesus Christ, the very incarnate God himself, the God-man, died for the bad. He died for you, he died for me. Friends, one day there will be a terrifying reality for those who don't have Christ as their Lord and Saviour. The judgment of the wicked will be an eternal nightmare, a continuous nightmare that one doesn't wake from. There will be no let up of the torment and punishment for the wicked. Friends, most of you are not deficient in aspects of good theology. You've been well taught, you've come to know your Bible and how to interpret it. But very few of us will ever escape the trials of life in some sort of way. When trials come, or if they've already arrived, remember that God is good. As believers, we should remember that God actually is on our side. He is your heavenly Father. And his Son, Jesus, actually intercedes for you. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. Even when you don't have words, he intercedes for you. When trials come, don't allow doubts to come. And try to, to refuse questions about the goodness of God. In such time, in such times, we need to remember scripture. We're reminded of Romans 8.28, we talked about this a few Sundays ago, all things work for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. There is ample scripture 
encouragement to us to believe God. So, friends, I want to encourage you tonight to count your blessings. You know, we used to sing a song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Have you ever done that? Even in the midst of challenging times, the truth is that when you weigh up your blessings, the eternal hope that you have in Christ, you'll find that you have much to be thankful for. Have you ever considered that a trial could actually be a blessing? Or a means of blessing? Have you ever considered the purpose of the trial? Often it's to strengthen your faith. And it's to, it's to turn you to God and to love him. True contentment in this life can only be found through faith in God and his son Jesus. Now in conclusion, let's be sure to realise what the destiny of the wicked, wicked is. Friends, it's eternal judgment. The judgment that God will pour out on the wicked is the same destiny that every one of us deserve. It's the same destiny that each of us is heading for unless we are saved from it. Let's not be so arrogant to realise that the punishment of the wicked is the same for all of us unless we come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we all need Jesus. In verse 2, Asaph said, But as for me, I almost slipped. When Asaph was able to discover good theology, he also affirms in verses 25 to 26 of Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then in verse 28, he's able to conclude with another but. If there's a but there, it's important. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Asaph has, Asaph has taught us that life is full of mystery, but thankfully he came to believe that God understands all things, even when we don't. But God gave Asaph enough evidence of his love and his goodness in a sinful world that was sufficient for him to trust God no matter what. May we also trust God no matter what, no matter what happens. Friends, God is truly good and this is good theology. Today and forever, may our faith in God be always enough. Amen. Let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder from Asaph tonight that God, it's good to be near God and he will be my refuge. Lord, may that be our experience tonight for all of us. That whatever trial we might go through or have gone through or may even be in the future, Lord, that we might realise that you are with us, that you are good. And Lord, help us always to believe your word. Help us to know more about your character and who you are and so strengthen us in this way, in our knowledge. And as our knowledge is increased, Lord, we pray that you'll increase our faith. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. More messages of hope at Essendon Presbyterian Church dot org dot au or wherever you get your podcasts from.